Well, welcome to the Shores Church Online. Great to be with you today. Whether you are watching on YouTube, following us on Facebook, or you're checking in and listening on Spotify, we are grateful that you're taking a little bit of your day to join with us in the study of God's Word. Before we get into God's Word, though, would you just make sure that you have liked and subscribed? Whatever method it is that you are using to follow us, we want to make sure that every time a new message from God's Word drops, that you are there and ready to receive that message. So go ahead and like and subscribe. And if it means something to you, if you hear God speak to you through this message today, make sure to share it uh, with a friend, share it on social media, so that God's Word can continue to go forth and work in people's lives and challenge them and change them. Today we are in week six of our series, Parables, Jesus the Storyteller. We've really enjoyed as a church going through this uh, series so far and really diving into some of these parables and learning how Jesus taught the people then through stories, the very principles that he wanted them to learn and how we can still learn from those stories today. And in the second month of this series, we're going to start today uh, in this second month with a little bit different. We're going to actually go through two parables today. They're both found in Luke 18. Verses 1 through 8 talks about the parable of the persistent widow. And uh, verses 9 through 14 talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector. So we're going to dive into both of these uh, parables today. We're going to talk about the context like we've been doing. Uh, so we're going to dive in in just a second. But we need to do what we always do, that we are going to open up with our, our prayer and our reminder of the importance of God's scripture. So would you repeat after me today? Your word is written in my mind. Your word is hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. I choose to live my life according to your word. Your word, O oh Lord, is eternal. Well, today, the very first thing I want to do is dive into the context of these two parables. Because of the fact that they're back-to-back -back parables, it makes a little bit more sense to dive into the context of it first in, in understanding what is setting up that allows us just to go right through both of these parables. So to understand the context, we need to go back to Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. So let's go ahead and read this together. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given a marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. 
On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them all away, and likewise let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, obviously, we could preach an entire message out of this passage, so I don't want to just overly simplify it. But at the same time, if we're understanding the context for what is to come, what we need to realize is that Jesus is setting the stage both to the Pharisees and to the disciples about Jesus's return, what we would call the rapture, that second coming, that we don't know that day, we don't know that hour, but we know that Jesus is going to come back and it is going to be obvious when Jesus has come back. And that it, it spells out that this is the, the things that matter. And one of the things I think that frustrate us today and you're going to see play out in these two parables is that we want to understand what God's up to now. We want to understand what he's doing, why he's doing it, how he's doing it, when he's going to uh, reveal what his plan is. And God is ultimately playing a very long game and it frustrates us because we want to see what's going on. And we are a piece in a very big game of chess. And God is the chess master being able to play every single move the exact right way in the exact right time to get to the exact right end result that at the same time we're kind of hoping that god's going to be playing connect four where we can just watch the colored pieces come in and we can see the pattern and we can see where we could get four in a row very quickly god's playing that game of chess where we can't see what his moves are but he's not only just thinking of the current move and the next move but he's thinking three and four and five and six moves down the road he's already played the game out and he's waiting for it to unfold in front of him and that frustrates us you see the pharisees and the disciples they they wanted knowledge they wanted to understand what was going on and he was basically saying to them like don't worry about it don't get freaked out about it just Trust me, these things are going to be, these things are going to happen, and you just got to be ready for it. And one of the things that I, I want to bring to your attention in this context, and it's really where these two uh, parables are going to come in today, is the idea that God knows what's going to happen, so don't lose heart. We just need to pray and trust and be faithful and not lose heart, and that God will do exactly what God said he was going to do, in God's timing, in God's way, and it will ultimately be the best way. It's easy to look at life and say, well, that's not the way I would do it. Well, it's a good thing you're not God, and it's a good thing I'm not God, because we wouldn't do it anywhere near as good as the way God is. And even when it confuses us and we don't understand it, we can trust that God is in control. That being said, I want to dive into our first parable of the day, and that is the parable of the persistent widow. And we find that in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. So let's go ahead and check out that parable right now. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow kept bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. 
And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he deliver long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? There's two ideas that I want to pull out of this particular parable today. And the first one is this, is that the widow's faith moved the judge. The widow's faith moved the judge. That she continually goes to him and is persistent. And this unrighteous judge changes his mind and gives this widow exactly what she wants. Now, the fact that it uses the word judge is very particular. You see, if she went to the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the elders, that wouldn't mean that she went to an Israelite. She would have went to one of her people. But by going to a judge, that means that she went to the Romans. She went to an unrighteous, unjust grouping of people who didn't have her best interest in mind, but that's who she needed to go to. But her persistence won out. You see, here's the statement that gets made is that I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. The beat me down, where that comes from in the Greek, is a Greek word called hupopiazo. And its meaning is basically to beat black and blue, to smite as to cause bruises and livid spots, basically to cause a black eye. This unrighteous judge realized, I may not want to give her what she wants, but she's going to keep coming. She's going to keep being persistent. She's going to keep pushing in until she gets what she wants, or I'm going to wind up with a black eye in this process of her being persistent. So I might as well just go ahead and give her what she wants and just be done with it. He realized that she was going to get her way and he was, I'm out here. Just have what you want. She had the faith and she had the persistency to go after what God was laying on her heart to seek. We see this play out in other parts of scripture. We have Moses, for example, who continually went to Pharaoh that he went through before the plagues. He went after the different plagues and Pharaoh kept saying like, nope, I'm not going to let your people go. I'm not going to let your people go. Even after the 10th plague where the firstborn of all of Egypt dies, Pharaoh says go. And then Pharaoh still goes after them. But Moses' persistence to follow God allowed the Israelites to go free from Egypt. You see, here's the thing a lot of times is that we don't really push in. We say a prayer, and if we don't automatically see what we want, we give up. We don't throw the towel in, but when we pray, we hear essentially kind of one of three or four things. First is a yes, that God gives us a clear yes. The second one is a no, where it's a clear no that this is not God's will or this is not God's best plan for you, and God's telling you no because this is not good for you. While it might be God's will, it's not God's will for you. But then we kind of get in this area where it's a not now or we're not feeling like we're hearing God. We're not hearing that answer. And a lot of times the, the not now means we keep asking, we keep pressing in, we keep fasting, we keep being persistent, seeking. Or we have that we're not really getting an answer. And we almost need to then just take that moment of saying, okay, let me put off the asking and let me get myself centered on God so that I know that I'm hearing God. And once you get yourself centered, like you you spent time right, making sure your heart's right with God, spending time in fasting to, to center yourself, to hear God's voice, or it might even be seeking other wisdom from other Christians that can speak into your life, that you hear God say yes or no. But the, you, you kind of have one of those four. It's either yes, it's no, it's not now, 
or it's kind of this waiting game. And a lot of times we get very uncomfortable in the waiting game or we get uncomfortable in the, the not now because we want it to be yes. But we keep being persistent, seeking God's will for our life, what God has for us, until we get the no. Let me give you an example of this. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being coming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In this particular passage, Paul has this thorn in the flesh, and he wants the thorn to be gone. He goes to God. He asks three times. It doesn't tell us, did God say no all three times? But we kind of get the indication that he asked three times. And on the third time, God said, like, nope, we're going we're gonna to keep this here because it's good for you. It may not feel good. It may not be what you want, but it is going to make you more effective in ministering the gospel. I'm going to allow it to stay. And once he heard that, that answer, he was content and he stopped being persistent in seeking because he knew that God had him where he wanted uh, Paul to be. And so that's the thing we need to realize is that we need to be persistent until we hear a no. But we keep being persistent when it's God's will and we can watch even the unrighteous all of a sudden change their ways and so that God's will can happen. The second idea I want to pull out of this parable is this, is that our faith will move God, but will he find us faithful? Our faith will move God, but will he find us faithful? That Jesus ends the parable by saying this, that the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let's put a pin in that for a moment, and we're, we're going to come back to that. But I want to take a look a little bit bigger look at the context of this parable. If you remember when we were reading through the context, it references the, the days of Lot and Lot and his family leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. So I want to go back all the way to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 18, verses 23 through 33. So let's read this together today. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let 
not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Abraham continued to go before God on behalf of a wicked city. He knew that the city was wicked. He knew that it was not a good place. He knew that it was severely lacking righteous people. But he kept going before the Lord, persistently asking God to spare the city, to spare the people, if there was righteous people that were there. Believing and knowing that if there is just a handful of people, maybe the city could be changed. Maybe the city could be, be won for God if there was righteous people there. And he knew that Lot's family was there. And he knew that within Lot's family, that Lot, his wife, his two daughters, and his two son-in-laws, that there is at least six. So if there is six, then maybe there's four others. And as we go through that particular story, we realize that the son-in-laws don't come with them, that Lot's wife turns around and looks back into destruction and, and disobeys, and she doesn't make it out. So only three individuals even make it out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the thing that we need to realize in this is that Abraham was doing everything he could to help save the city, help save a city that was unrighteous because he knew that every person mattered to God because every person was created in the image of God, that every person matters and that he was persistent in prayer before God to the point that God never gave him a no, but he kept going until the point where he dare not boldly go and ask for anything else. He had faith that he believed that God could do something incredible and something unique, and maybe those people could be one to God. He had faith. And I want to encourage you with the same idea, the same thought today, that if we persistently approach the throne with faith, what could happen? What could be changed so that the kingdom could go forward? Instead of writing people off, instead of writing groups of people off, instead of writing cities off, what if we persistently go in prayer before God that God would do something that we couldn't even imagine so that those people, that those people groups, that those cities could, that those false religious beliefs, that God could send somebody who would go in and all of a sudden that grouping would experience the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and be changed and transformed forever. We see a persistent widow here that went before an unrighteous judge, and you could see that she ended up getting what she wanted. Now, God is a righteous judge. And that if we go before him and persistently plead on behalf of people, imagine what could happen for those people. That we, we see it play out that Abraham went be, on behalf of these people who were wicked and God, his, his heart was moved. Now, of course, those people weren't found, but he was willing to allow a city of unrighteous to exist so that the righteous wouldn't be destroyed. And maybe, just maybe, the unrighteous of that city could be redeemed. Now, I want to do something unique here. We're going to go into the second parable, but this is also kind of my altar time at the same time today that I want to challenge you with, that I want to pray over you. So this second parable is this. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And it's found in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. So let's read this together. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves 
that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I think so often we approach God thinking that we are the tax collector who is coming before him seeking salvation. And at one point in time, all of us that are in Christ were. But I fear that so often it's easy to lose sight of being the tax collector because we do believe in this idea of sanctification and a progressive sanctification that we are daily looking more like Jesus. And we lose sight of where we came from. We can never lose sight of where we came from. The great thing is we're no longer that person that God no longer holds us accountable for the sins of our past. But when we lose track of where we came from, we can move into a Pharisee's thinking. And we, we hear the Pharisee in this particular parable. And I love the fact that Jesus is getting to a spot where he's not even like hiding what he's saying anymore. Like He's, he's fully putting it out there and, and calling the Pharisees out. But the Pharisees talking about how I do these things and I fast and I give and, and I'm, I'm better than all of these other individuals. And he's missing it because he needs the gospel just as much as the sinner needs the gospel. And we can lose track of that so quickly. And so I want to encourage you today as you hear this parable tied back into the persistent widow because they come side by side. There's individuals in our lives where we need to passionately plead on their behalf before the King of Kings, because we serve a righteous God, that if we persistently go to him, we spend time in God's presence, we spend time in God's word, we spend time fasting, we do the things that God has called us to do, we can be amazed that when we start praying for people, that all of a sudden they will experience the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. That we say, well, this is impossible, but no thing is impossible for Jesus Christ. Because all things are possible through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when we look at that persistent widow and we realize the fact that we can persistently go before God, we get to the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and realize anybody could be that tax collector. And that we want to pray over people and passionately plead on their behalf so that they can enter into the kingdom. But at the same time, we need that constant reminder that if we're not careful and we stop telling our testimony and we stop telling about the goodness of God and we stop telling about where we were before God stepped in, we can become that Pharisee and lose sight of it and start comparing ourselves to other people. The moment comparison enters in is the moment that we start thinking that we're doing it on our own behalf, but we're only being able to do it because God stepped in on our behalf. So today, I want you to align your heart with God. Align your heart with the heart of God that would desire that none should perish, but that all should come to a saving understanding of who Jesus Christ is. If you are already in Christ, I beg you to begin passionately and persistently pleading on others' behalf 
before the King of Kings, that Jesus would step in, that Jesus would send somebody, that maybe Jesus would send you so that that person that you love and that you care about would meet Christ. Begin fasting for them. Begin praying for them. Have faith because I want Jesus to come back and find his church faithful that we've done everything within our power because we love God so much. And I want to pray as well for those of you that you have never accepted Christ, that you feel like you've been looking for justice. You feel like you've been looking for acceptance. You've been looking for forgiveness. You've been looking for all these things and have never been able to find it, but you can find it in Jesus Christ because he lived a sinless life. He was God who became man born of a virgin, lived that sinless life, went to the cross on your behalf and my behalf, and then rose again to conquer the grave and conquer sin. And he is coming back again and to spend eternity with him in heaven forever. You just have to ask him into your life and ask him to forgive what you've done wrong. And Jesus will enter in and change your life and transform your life and set you free from the things that have been holding you back. Just like that tax collector who wouldn't even raise his eyes up to look at heaven, but would beat his breast, beat his chest and say, you know what, God, I don't deserve it, but I thank you for it. Let's always be that person. So today what I want to do is pray in two different ways. I just put up three fingers, but pray in two different ways. First, if you've never accepted Christ, I want to encourage you right now to just Pray this, what, what I'm going to tell you to pray, and accept Jesus into your life today. If you've accepted Jesus, I want you, what, whatever way you're watching this, to drop in the comments and say, I accept Jesus Christ today. And I want you to go on the myshores.church, and I want you to, to go to the, the button that says, start my Christian journey, and begin looking at what Jesus Christ has done for you. But in order to do that, in order to invite Christ in, you just have to, in your words, say, Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you just forgive me of all the things that I've done wrong? Would you step in and break any bondage, break any chains, break anything that is holding me back from being everything you desire for me to be? Set me free from my past. Set me free from my present so I can live for you in my future. However you want to say that, I want you to, to say it and, and pray it. I'm going to pray over you right now. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends right now that want to be set free right now in Jesus' name, that they want to invite you into their hearts, that they want to live for you. I pray over them right now in Jesus' name that you would move in a mighty way, that you would set them free just like you set this tax collector free, just like you set so many people free throughout the Bible, that you heal them, you transform them, and you set them up for a future loving you and serving you, God. I pray that over my friends right now that you would move in their life in major ways. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that and you mean it, drop it in the comments. Let us know. Head to myshores.church and hit that uh, button that starts your Christian journey, and you can start learning what those next steps are that you can take. Now, I want to pray one more thing is a prayer of faith over the rest of us. I want to pray for faith that would believe that the impossible would be possible, that we would persistently go before God in prayer, expecting God to move. 
expecting God to, to do what he says he's going to do. Because remember, I said in the beginning, a lot of times we're wanting God to be playing Connect Four so we can see the patterns and we can see the moves coming. But God's playing a long game. He is a chess master and he is playing moves that we cannot even see yet. But we are going to persistently go to the throne room. We're going to persistently go before Jesus and ask him to move until we hear him say, yes, not now or no. And we're going to trust him when he gives us an answer. Heavenly Father, I pray that your church would be found faithful. I pray that you would move in us. I pray that you would challenge us. Lord, that we would desire to see you move. And if we're not feeling we have the answer yet, that we would persistently come before you until we do. And when we get that answer of being yes or being no, Lord, that we would faithfully trust that you are in control and that you have our best interest in mind and that we are okay with whatever that answer is. Lord, I pray that we would be a people of faith and that when you come again, that you would find your church faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's go ahead and end today like we would any other day by saying the Great Commission. Say it with me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thanks for joining us again today. Remember, if you are watching on YouTube, listening on Spotify, or following on Facebook, make sure you like and subscribe so that you don't miss next week's message. It's going to be good because God's word is always good. I'll see you next time.